0: Hello, this is Ben Bowler of Unity Earth. Welcome to this fifth season of the Convergence radio series. Over the last three years, we have seen the unfolding of the road to 2020, with events held in many sites around the world, all building the movement towards unity and peace. Now in the back half of 2019, we turn towards the major events planned for 2020, a year that is shaping up to be a watershed moment for our planet. In November 2019 is the Varanasi Convergence in India's Holy City. Then it's U-Day 2020, Holy Land, Living Water, next February, bringing the Unity Earth family together to celebrate Interfaith Harmony Week, to raise awareness of the plight of the Jordan River and to stand for peace in the Middle East. The finale is the September 2020 Caravan of Unity across America, beginning with great ceremony in San Francisco and winding across to New York City where thousands of organizations around the planet will be celebrating the International Day of Peace. The time is truly upon us for a convergence of the many ecological, spiritual and socially inspired movements, rising up and showing up together with historic force on the world stage. Friends, there is much to be done and much to look forward to as we wind our way towards that day. For now, it is my honor to hand you over to our series hosts, the one and only Dr. Kurt
1: Johnson. Thanks, Ben Bowler, for that introduction to the Convergence series. This is your series host, Dr. Kurt Johnson of the Interspiritual Network and Unity Earth. Welcome to this Voice America special, which is all about the global celebrations of September and October 2019 and is entitled 11 Days of Global Unity and the International Day of Peace. During this time from the 11 days, starting on September 11th to the Week of Spirituality at the United Nations in late October, we annually join leaders, organizations, and, and networks around the world for these observances in the months of September and October. This special today features Dr. Deepak Chopra and Ambassador A.K. Chowdhury, Reverend Sylvia Sumter, and other leaders from the United Nations and changemakers from around the world. My co-host is Rick Ulfick, founder of We the World and the 11 Days of Global Unity, and this Voice America special follows on another that we just posted on August 9th, which was a 100-minute special describing not only this year's International Day of Peace celebrations, but diverse plans and initiatives from 2019 to 2020. So we want to refer you to that evergreen program, which is available 24-7, here at Voice America at the Convergence Show page. It's easy to find by simply Googling the Convergence at Voice America and pick the show entitled 2019 to 2020 Events, Standing for Peace and Change. That's 2019 to 2020 Events, Standing for Peace and Change. Now, today's special follows on that vision for 2019 and 2020 but centers more particularly now on what's unfolding in September and October 2019 across the United Nations community and around the world. My co-host Rick Ulfwick will be joining us shortly with his group of guests from the 11 Days of Global Unity. Rick is the founder of We the World, We.net, and the 11 Days of Global Unity, which annually are a major force in the creation of all of these events, and with all the global leaders and change makers that we're going to be talking with and about. As well, this broadcast parallels an edition of our free e magazine, Light on Light magazine, which will publish this month a special issue, Change Makers, Leadership and Transformation, also featuring Deepak Chopra. Gene Houston, Greta Thunberg, Michael Beckwith, Brian McLaren, Audrey Kitagawa, Stephen Dinan, David Sloan Wilson, Chuck Pagano of the NFL, and a whole host of other world changemakers. It's an exciting issue. Now that free e-magazine is also easy to find by simply going to Light on Light Magazine at Facebook. That's Light on Light at Facebook, uh, Light on Light Magazine at Facebook. So we're going to start today then this Voice America special with Deepak Chopra in dialogue with Claudia Wells, who is the chair of the Institute of Noetic Sciences in California. And then we'll move on to Rick Ulfick and his guests from the 11 Days of Global Unity. And we'll conclude with Ben Bowler and Adam Collette of Unity Earth to talk about the connections of all of these 2019 events with the big plans for 2020 which are the Road to 2020 events, both in India and the Holy Land, and leading to the 2020 Caravan of Unity Across America, which culminates with 2020's International Day of Peace on September 21, 2020. So first, it's our pleasure to have Deepak Chopra not only with us today, but also on the cover and with two features in our special issue of Light on Light magazine for this year's International Day of Peace. Now, Deepak will be making a special appearance on October 2, 2019, at the United Palace in New York City, as a part of these International Peace Week festivities, and featuring the launch of his new book, MetaHuman. So we're going to have as our first guest today, to help us introduce Deepak, Heather Shea, who is the CEO and Spiritual Director at United Palace in New York City, and we'll be speaking to her in just a moment. Deepak Chopra is a household name across the world, a world-renowned pioneer in integrative medicine and personal transformation. Dr. Chopra is the co-founder of the Chopra Center for Well-Being and the Chopra Foundation, which is at ChopraFoundation.org. He is the author of more than 85 books translated into some 43 languages, including numerous New York Times bestsellers. He will be appearing in New York City on October 2nd at the United Palace to launch his newest book, MetaHuman. A more complete bio for Dr. Chopra is at the Voice America show page and more at www.deepakchopra.com. So with regard, with regard to that, Dr. Chopra's host for that October 2nd event is the United Palace for Spiritual Arts, which is one of New York City's largest venues. And we have with us now the CEO and spiritual director of the United Palace, Heather Shea, who along with Dr. Chopra and I and so many others on this broadcast are members of the Evolutionary Leaders Circle. It's an exciting group, which you can find at EvolutionaryLeaders.net. So welcome, Heather, and tell us about the United Palace and about the upcoming Deepak Chopra event.
2: Well, thank you, Kurt. I really appreciate it. And thank you, all of you who are listening here today. You know, we are thrilled to be hosting this book launch of Deepak Chopra's, and it's just fabulous to have him here at the Palace. But I would take a minute for those of you online who uh, really don't know about the United Palace. The United Palace of Spiritual Arts is a transformational organization, and we fuse spiritual artistry, culture, community, classic cinema, and entertainment. As Kurt was saying, we're a large venue. We're the, in fact we're the fourth largest theater in Manhattan with three thousand four hundred seats. Uh, it's a hub of creative expression and personal growth. It is it is really a spiritual center and we call it the home of spiritual artistry and we believe that everyone is a spiritual artist creating their life as their masterpiece. Uh, many folks don't know us. We're up here in the heart of Washington Heights. We're right near the George Washington Bridge, and it's very easy to get to uh, by subway, particularly the A-train, by bus or by car. If you haven't been here before, please come up and visit us, and please come to the event. Um, we were built in 1930 as one of the five Lowe's Wonder Theaters in the area. Uh, it first opened as a grand movie palace in Vaudeville House, and in 1960, the theater was purchased by the spiritual center that we now call the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. Uh, It was designated in 2016 as a landmark building, and we continue to have services and arts and entertainment and and community events throughout the year. So you can find us online and take a look at at all that we're offering. And as we've been talking about, we are just delighted to be hosting uh, the launch of Deepak's new book, Metahuman. This is going to be October 2nd, up here at the United Palace. The doors will open at 6.15 for the, the people who are coming for the meet and greet. They will continue to be open at 6.45 for the other folks who are coming for general admission. And at 8 o'clock, the program will start. And we're very happy that, i delighted that Dr. Jean Houston will be here to introduce Deepak. Uh, Jean is the chairman of the board at the United Palace of Spiritual Arts, and she and Deepak have been friends for many, many years. Uh, So we are thrilled that she will be here introducing Deepak and uh, or at least opening up the session and greeting everyone. Tickets for the general admission are $49, and that does include the book. And then for the meet-and-greet, the tick price is $149, and that includes the book and also a meet-and-greet with Dr. Chopra. Um, we, tickets are available online you can go onto our site unitedpalace.org and, and get tickets and we look forward to you all coming, so thank you
1: Oh, that's great so Heather, thank you so much and everybody remember to check out this event further and get your tickets through www.unitedpalace.org and it's just a thrill for us to have Deepak so deeply involved in our events this year so we're going to go over now to Dr. Chopra himself, who is hosted with us today by Claudia Wells, the chairperson of the Institute of Noetic Science. And a full bio for Claudia is also at the Convergence Voice America show page. Now, as many of you know, the Institute of Noetic Science, also known as IONS, was founded by astronaut and moonlander Edgar Mitchell who on returning to the Earth reported and acted upon a profound experience that he had had watching the Earth from the moon and seeing the specialness and fragility of our planet and also realizing this unity between consciousness and the realms of science. And from that came the amazing IONS heritage. Now, Claudia and Deepak were both parts of a special program at IONS in July that was called the Possibility Accelerator, Creating Our Future Now, and it was attended by nearly a 1,000 people. Now, both Rick and I have the pleasure of serving on the board of directors for the Friends of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. You all can easily find ions at noetic.org. So, Claudia is going to be asking Deepak about his latest books, You Are the Universe and Metahuman and the connection of their themes on human potential to the 11 Days of Global Unity and the International Day of Peace. So, Rick, let's go over now to Claudia Wells and Dr. Deepak Chopra.
3: Thanks, Kurt and Rick, for that introduction. And Deepak, welcome.
1: Thank
4: you.
3: Last time we did this, we discussed your book, You Are the Universe, Discovering Your Cosmic Self. And last month, at the Institute of Noetic Sciences' 18th International Conference in Santa Clara, your presentation on the nature of reality exploring mind brain and cosmos revisited some of the themes of that book and received a standing ovation to no surprise now you have a new book coming out entitled MetaHuman with a book launch on October 2nd at the United Palace in New York City Deepak can you first briefly share the essence of the message you delivered at IONS about the nature of reality and then relate that to your main message in MetaHuman
5: okay so If you look around wherever you are, I'm seeing you there in your beautiful room with all the beautiful objects around you, and you're seeing me. And uh, it's (coughs) it's our everyday understanding that what we're looking at is real, including our own body. But that is now under question, what is the real reality? Most science, almost all of science, I wouldn't say almost, i will say all of science, is based on something that the philosophy of science calls realism. And there are three kinds of realism. One is called naive realism, which basically says that the picture of the world is the look of it. And with all due respect, uh, uh, Einstein was a naive realism, realist. He said, for example, he's quoted, famously quoted that saying, the moon would still be there if no one was looking at it. But uh, that's naive realism because the moon that you and I see is a human experience. It's not the experience of a horseshoe crab that lives in the depths of the ocean. It's not the experience of a bat that knows experience as the echo of ultrasound or a snake that uh, slithers navigating the earth through infrared. Uh, There's a species of butterfly called the Painted Lady who tastes the world through her legs, smells the world through her antenna, uh, hears the world through her wings, and has 30,000 lenses in her eyes that move like a kaleidoscope. What is reality to that sentient being that we call the Painted Lady, butterfly? Is there a certain thing as the look of the world? Is there an objective reality, independent of the species or biological organism looking at it? Science is based on that fact that there's an observer-independent reality. Now, science also, the philosophy of science says that a fact is true or a scientific fact is valid, quote-unquote, if it is falsifiable or valid, it can be validated. Well, an observer-independent reality cannot be falsified or validated. It's an oxymoron. You cannot, everything that you call reality, you first have to experience it. So before you can call this a phone, this thing that I'm holding in my hand, it's an experience. And before I call it a phone, it's an experience. And the experience visually is only a shape, a color, or a form. Uh, On a tactile basis, it's a sensation. It could also be a smell or a taste if I wanted to, or a noise. That's a mode of knowing. Modes of knowing in human beings is a very narrow band of perceptual activity, which is actually quantum information. When you look at me, all that's going to your eyes are colorless photons, but you're not seeing colorless photons. All that's going to your brain is an action potential. You're not experiencing that either. All that's happening in your brain, which is very dark is electrochemical activity. Where is this experience happening? And science cannot give us an answer. This is called the hard problem of consciousness. It's also linked to what is called the Heisenberg cut. How does the quantum information going into the brain become a three-dimensional reality in space and time? So when we keep asking questions that have no answers, at some point we have to ask ourselves, are we asking the wrong questions? Heisenberg famously also said that nature never reveals herself to us as she is. I'm, of course, trans, you know, I kind of paraphrasing uh, Heisenberg. But he said words to the effect nature is not known to us as she is, but as exposed to our method of questioning. Humans have a very particular method of questioning. What am I observing? Um, is there a theory that uh, uh, tells me how this observation occurs? Can I do an experiment? Can I validate it and replicate it? Well, according to that methodology, if we assume that the physical world is physical, never have an answer to the hard problem of consciousness because even the brain is an experience in consciousness. How do you know there's a brain? Because you perceive it. In the same way that you perceive this phone. How do you know you have a body? You perceive it in the same way you perceive this phone. And we do not know how perceptual activity, which is basically an intermittent stream of sensations, images, feelings, thoughts, and perceptions, creates this world, including our physical body. So, in Meta Human, I'm making the case against naive realism, but also against what is called representational realism. Representational realism means that the world is exactly the way it looks, but somehow my brain has a cryptographic cryptographic code that deconstructs um, quantum information into this world. But how does it do that? No one knows. The third (coughs) kind of realism is called scientific realism. (coughs) The world is made up of atoms and particles and force fields like electromagnetism and uh, gravity and so forth. But then if that's true, then again, why does it look the way it looks? Why does it sound the way it sounds? Why does it smell the way it smells? You see, we are asking questions that have no answers. So in metahuman, what I'm saying is what some new cognitive neuroscientists are also saying, by the way, that the world we see is a species specific mode of knowing and experience in human consciousness that in every act of perception, we actually construct it. So right now I'm constructing, my consciousness is constructing your image. All that's appearing on my computer is a digital code of photons or electro, electromagnetic activity. But I, as a conscious being, are simultaneously constructing the experience of you on my screen, of myself, the sounds I hear, the objects I see in your room, we are, I'm constructing all of that, as are you. And so awareness is fundamental, and in every moment it experiences observer, observed, and everything in between. If we go that route, then we see that everyday reality is a human construct, and it's shaped by our beliefs, our constructs, our stories and our, um, our uh, modes of knowing and experience which we then give meaning to or purpose to. In other words, in the deeper reality, there's no universe, there's no such thing as a physical body and there's no such thing as a mind. All there is is consciousness bubbling with knowing. And that knowing is a species-specific, narrow bandwidth of uh, mostly electromagnetic activity. Even that is a human construct for another mode of knowing and experience. So what is real? the real reality? The real reality is pure consciousness, which has uh, no shape, no color, no sound, no texture, And uh, because it's formless, it's also infinite. And because it's infinite, it can't be conceptualized other than in a mathematical equation when you can, you know, make a symbol of infinity. When you get deep into this, as I do in the book, and at the end of the book, there are 31 little uh, meditation exercises that help you grasp this, then you realize that you are a formless, infinite being experiencing itself in infinite modes of knowing and infinite uh, known phenomena, that since there is no body other than a changing perceptual activity, then birth and death are also constructs. All our problems that human problems have, have are based on a hallucination, that what we see as the world is the real world and also on the hallucination of the separate self, that I am separate from you when we are all entangled in the deeper reality. We are all entangled at the level of sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts that create the experience of mind, body, and the physical world. Knowing this makes us inherently free of all experience while we enjoy the experience, which is, you know, what mindfulness practices do. You observe a thought and you recognize that you're not a thought. The observer of the thought is not a thought. The observer of a perception is not the perception. The observer of the body is not the body. The observer of the mind is not the mind. The observer of the world is not the world. What is that observer? Well, it's inconceivable, it's infinite, It's formless, but without it, there would be no experience. And without it, there would be um, no story, whether mythical stories, philosophical stories, theological stories, religious stories, and now science is our latest story. It's a great adventure. Science is a great adventure, and it makes technology possible, including the technology we're using right now to communicate with each other but science doesn't address fundamental truths. What is it that makes this experience possible? What is it that makes a thought possible? What is it that makes a feeling, an emotion, a perception possible? And the only answer is uh, consciousness. Consciousness actually knows itself as observer and observed, knows itself as all experience. Consciousness is also not personal. Only the mind is personal. The mind is the conditioning of consciousness, which is bamboozled by human stories, starting with uh, gossip and mythology and fake news, and then religion and theology, philosophy, and now science. Knowing fundamental reality frees us from constructs and allows us to shape our personal reality, but also allows us at some point in the future to shape our collective reality so we can move in the direction of a more peaceful, just, sustainable, and healthier uh, world. Given that it's an illusion, we might as well upgrade the illusion instead of making it uh, the hell we've created right now with climate change and extinction of species and mechanized death and poison in our food chain and all the havoc that we are creating in our perceived reality, including our own f- physical bodies, um, the experience of our physical bodies. So that's basically the book is an extension of You Are the Universe. You Are the Universe was based on the fact that uh, the universe is a human construct. And now this book uh, is how do we create these constructs? How do we keep constructs that are useful to us while getting rid of concept, constructs that are useless? You know, extreme na- nationalism, racism, bigotry, hatred, prejudice, power mongering, cronyism, corruption, uh, nation states, all of them, with maybe the exception of Angela Merkel, all nation states in the world are run by gangsters, thugs, and thieves. So we take everyday reality to be independent of our creation of it.
6: Thank you, Deepak. While I love the expression,
3: upgrade the illusion, um, especially when it comes to our limitations of what it means uh, for ourselves as human beings and our ability to impact our personal and collective realities, and realizing that we have to negotiate some illusions to live in this 3D world. Um, As a science fiction and comics fan, I recognize the term metahuman from the DC comics world, where it basically meant, beyond human or a human with superpowers and Marvel comics uh, refer to that as post-human. IONS refers to that as our extended human capacities. And um, in fact, the IONS Discovery Lab intends to be the largest study ever done on the effects of transformative practices and experiences on developing extended human capacities or superpowers. And that seems that those uh, quote-unquote superpowers seem really important in terms of uh, creating the world that we are trying to move towards, that we know we must move towards. And beyond what IONS is doing, Kurt was sharing earlier with listeners about a couple of powerful initiatives coming up in September, the 11 Days of Global Unity and the International Day of Peace. And we're wondering, Deepak, how you see these expanded human potential themes relating to the human potential themes and goals of initiatives like uh, Kurt is talking about.
5: Well, yes. Uh, It's very interesting that we all talk about superpowers and super normal uh, potentials, when we actually, from a physicalist standpoint, we can't even understand normal experience. We cannot explain normal experience. Forget the paranormal, but uh, you can't even explain the experience of, you know, people are talking constantly about out-of-body experiences. But we can't explain an in-body experience because technically speaking, there's no one inside your body. You know, in fact, the out-of-body experience is probably more legitimate because um, technically uh, your body is an experience in you, which is non-local. So supernormal powers, uh, which are referred to in uh, Sanskrit, in the yoga, um, in the teachings of yoga, they're called the siddhis. They are dormant human potentials that anyone can awaken through transcendence, deep empathy, compassion, love, and reflection. So if you can go transcend the subject-object split as through meditation, for example, if you go in the gap between your thoughts or the gap between your perceptions or the gap between sensations or the gap between any experience, including the gap between breath, then you enter this domain, which is prior to experience or in between experience. And it's beyond subject-object split. This is the realm of infinite possibilities. This is the realm of synchronicity or non-local correlation. This is the realm where intention and attention arise. This is also ever evolving into new modes of knowing, experience, and therefore, new modes of perceptual reality. Uh, This is the field of infinite possibilities. And this is what we call the self. So if one can transcend to the self, then automatically there is the emergence of platonic truth as it's called. Goodness, beauty, harmony, love, compassion, joy, equanimity, and most importantly, the loss of the fear of death because death uh, happens to an experience, not to you. And death and birth are happening constantly to every experience we have. So there is freedom from all constructs and the ability to keep the ones that are useful. You know, latitude, longitude is a good construct. Greenwich Mean Time, we could have called it Botswana Mean Time, but it's a convenient construct, okay? Um, When I say to you, I'll meet you at the Broadway at the corner of Broadway and 56. It's a useful construct, but we made it up. And this is the way we made up everything. Now, once we realize that, if we want to create a better world, if we want to upgrade this projection that we call the human universe, then the only way to do it is to transcend and actually cultivate deep empathy. When you cultivate deep empathy, you literally feel what another person feels. And that is already non-local correlation. Your brain, your neurons, and your uh, limbic nervous system, uh, they lock in with the other person's uh, limbic system and nervous system. And so deep empathy is already opening the door to the leaky margin, which is your personal bubble of reality. And once that bubble is starts to leak, then it leaks even more so you can actually transcend and actually live non-locally while you are behaving locally. You know, Thierry Chardin said, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Now, that's good for... Spiritual people, they like it. It sounds good. But in reality, we are always non-local. You are always non-local and you live there. You just have local experiences as a result of the idea that you, as a body-mind, are the container of awareness. And that's another false construct. Because in the body-mind, there is no place where there can be Awareness of anything. The body-mind itself is an experience in awareness. Once you just make that slight shift, awareness has no containers. Awareness or consciousness being formless and infinite, it has no container. The body is contained as an experience and also a shifting experience in awareness. So once you realize that your body is not the container of awareness, The body-mind is an experience in awareness in the form of of perceptual activity. And you can choose, by the way, through attention and intention and transcendence, what you want to evoke as that experience. Then you are living non-locally and all these dormant potentials, whether it's precognition or remembering the past or even another lifetime or remote viewing or clairvoyance. These are normal potentials that exist in everyone who is not bound by their bubble of experience and identifying only with their bubble of experience.
3: Thank you, Deepak. Uh, No matter how much time we have with you, it's never enough, but you always manage to get to the heart of the matter and the most important message to leave listeners with. So I want to thank you for that. Thank and you,
5: Claudia. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you for expanding our perceptions always of what's possible for ourselves, for humanity, and all of life, and for being with us again today on Voice America. Thank you. Thank I hope you. Hope to see you at the United Palace October 2nd.
5: Oh, great. That'll be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. I'll do some meditation to get, give people this experience.
3: Wonderful. Really looking forward. Thank you again, Deepak. Thank you, Claudia. And thank you to Rick and Kurt.
1: Yes. Wow! Thank you so much, Claudia and Deepak, for that amazing discussion about the landscape of consciousness and the challenge before us to create a better world—a world that really can work for everyone. It's a great kickoff up to the discussion of the 11 Days of Global Unity itself, and for the International Day of Peace. So now I'm going to turn the rest of the program over to Rick Ulfek, founder of We the World and the 11 Days of Global Unity. And a full bio for Rick is also at the Convergence Voice America show page. The 11 Days of Global Unity celebrations have become a major international fixture for the observance of the annual International Day of Peace. So as you listen to Rick and all of his guests, you're going to get a fuller picture of all the programs that it provides. So I'm going to let Rick take it away right after we take a short station break to hear a short clip For some various sponsors about this and other global events that will be upcoming in 2019 and
4: 2020.
0: Hi, Ben Bowler from Unity Earth, here to invite you on the journey of a lifetime. From February 1st to 7th, we are holding U Day 2020. Holy Land, Living Water. This groundbreaking event represents a historic collaboration between EcoPeace Middle East, United Religions Initiative and Unity Earth. Holy Land Living Water builds upon the success and legacy of Uday 2018 in Ethiopia and back to 2012 when the Uday series began in Thailand. Our 2020 journey begins in Jordan on the Dead Sea before coming to the Sea of Galilee and then Jericho and other sacred places in Palestine before finishing in Jerusalem and Haifa. This six-day journey of discovery will highlight the plight of the Jordan River and the extraordinary work of our friends at EcoPeace. Uday 2020 is a major event in Unity Earth's global road to 2020. We would love for you to come and join us. Be a part of history in the making with members of the diverse human family as we come together to promote a cause of peace and sustainability in the Middle East. Go to Uday2020.com, that's U-D-A-Y 2020.com for more information and to book.
7: Thanks so much, Kurt. Now I'm excited to bring in some of the people whose work has contributed to 11 Days of Global Unity and the International Day of Peace in the past and who have extraordinary programs coming up as well as wisdom to share that we can all benefit from. First, we will be joined by one of the pioneers of the movement for the culture of peace. Ambassador Anwar K. Chowdhury is a former Under Secretary General of the United Nations from 2002 to 2007 and former Ambassador of Bangladesh to the United Nations from 1996 to 2001. Ambassador Chowdhury's legacy and leadership in advancing the best interest of the global community are boldly imprinted in his pioneering initiative at the United Nations General Assembly in 1999 for the adoption of the landmark Declaration and Program of Action on a Culture of Peace. Welcome to Convergence Radio Ambassador General K. Chowdhury. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, I'm so happy that you can join us, especially since you've been a big supporter of 11 Days of Global Unity, and you have participated in it in the past. This is the 15th anniversary of 11 Days of Global Unity, September 11th through 21. So, Ambassador Chowdhury, please tell our listeners about the high level forum on the culture of peace at the United Nations, September 13th, uh, coming up. Uh, This is an annual event of the global movement for the culture of peace, of which We The World is a member, and it can be seen online from anywhere in the world at webtv.un.org and please talk about the exciting 20th anniversary that you will be celebrating at this event
8: thank you rick Uh, well my congratulations before i talk about the the culture of peace but um, my congratulations to we the people to you as its founder and the main um, leader uh, of um, the global, 11 days of global unity. Yes, you are right. I have spoken uh, on the occasion of the global unity a few years uh, ago, and I am very, very delighted that you have grown tremendously to energize humanity, energize people in working for the common good. And that's wonderful. And particularly, I pay tribute to you, to, um, as you have identified 11 themes for this um, period, uh, starting with unity and ending with peace, including children, women, human rights. Wonderful. I am really delighted to join you today. But Thank. Let you. me Thank you. now, uh, you're most welcome. Thank you, Rick. I would like to now say that um, this high-level forum on the culture of peace that the president of the General Assembly of the United Nations would be convening on the 13th of September 2019 is eighth in the series of these high-level meetings. First, it started in 2012, And then every year since then, the General Assembly has taken a resolution to have this convened by the respective subsequent presidents of the General Assembly. And I believe that this year is the 20th anniversary, so this eighth forum takes a special meaning. General Assembly last December adopted a resolution to say that this high-level forum should observe the 20th anniversary in an appropriate and befitting manner. And I think the present president of the General Assembly, uh, Maria Espinosa Fernanda uh, Graces of Ecuador, is duly and appropriately um, uh, 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 engaged in the process of giving it a high profile and we are all excited about that the the 20th anniversary is because exactly on that date 13th of September 20 years ago in 1999 the General Assembly adopted the declaration and program of action on culture of peace and before that I had worked as the chair of the negotiations for nine months which finally brought in a consensus document which the general assembly can adopt and on 13th of september 20 years ago i presented and introduced that resolution to the general assembly uh, for the consensus adoption on behalf of the member states so that is what Um, I think we are observing that United Nations over the years have uh, tried to engage itself in many ways to promote the culture of peace. But I should say, civil society like your organization and like the global movement of the culture of peace in which we the peoples is a part, is a coalition of non-governmental organizations promoting the culture of peace. And I believe that with the support of the member states, uh, as uh, is happening every year now in the high-level forum, and with the support of the President of the General Assembly and uh, this time her leadership, we will be able to highlight the importance of the culture of peace and taken a renewed uh, vow to implement the declaration and the Program of action adopted by the general Assembly
7: that's wonderful that's that's fabulous and um, would you like to talk also about how you know the whole concept of this movement for the culture of peace um, I know there are some action steps that are talked about and um, for me it, this is really important for people to know that this work is taking place um, and I, I again want to let people know that it can be seen online at webtv.un.org uh, on September 13th starting uh, I think it's at 10 10 a.m. Is 10 o'clock 10, 10 to 6 with yeah. a lunch break exactly so 10 to 6 with a lunch break uh, probably from what 12 to 2 1 two, 3 One to 3 okay very good um so this is new york time of course if people are watching from uh another time uh zone um so um, and it can also be viewed afterwards uh as, yes. as well um so do you want to talk a little bit about um the motivations behind doing this series and you said this is the eighth one, the eighth year of this high level Uh forum and the secretary generals have in the past uh, spoken uh, to open these uh, high level forums as well.
8: Yeah, uh, Rick, actually the forum is opened by the president of the general assembly. And in the past we have secretaries general speaking and this year, uh, because of the twentieth anniversary, we have been able to secure hopefully he will be in town, and there will be no international emergency which will um, uh, engage him in our forum to speak so uh, the the uh, the high level forum will be opened at the general Assembly hall at ten o 'clock by the president of the general Assembly because it is our meeting. And she will then invite the secretary general to speak, and then there will be a, a keynote speaker, and there will be um, uh, member states who will be speaking after that. And then in the afternoon, at from three to six, we'll have a panel discussion, and the theme for the panel discussion is the culture of peace: colon, empowering and transforming humanity. That is the way, way we, we see it, because it needs empowerment of the people to promote the culture of peace, and then this will have a transformational impact on humanity as a whole. Simply put, uh, Rick, I would say the culture of peace as a concept mm, uh, means that every one of us needs to consciously make peace and non-violence a part of our daily existence. We uh, should not isolate peace as something separate or distant. We should know how to relate to one another without being aggressive, without being violent, uh, without being... Disrespectful, without neglect, without prejudice. This is important to realize that the absence of peace takes away the opportunities that we need to better ourselves, to prepare ourselves, uh, to empower ourselves to face the challenges of our lives individually and collectively. And this thinking came about as the world was coming out of the Cold War. You know, it is coincidental that the United Nations was established at the end of the Second World War, and the the concept of the culture of peace started emerging uh, when the Cold War was ending. And we were all thinking how to take advantage of this new energy in the world where this old uh, conflict, old animosity uh, has been... Um, sort of put in the back. And then we were seeing that this empowerment of people is very important. Each and every individual is important to the process of transformation required to secure the culture of peace in our world. We should, each one of us should be convinced that nonviolent cooperative action is possible. So that is what each, if each one of us believe that, And then I think this will increase exponentially to make it bigger and bigger, starting from the individual to the community, to the nation, to the regions, and then to the globe as a whole. I think this is important. Unless we individually, and that is true about anything in life, we individually do not and are not determined to do anything nothing will happen. So that that determination is encouraged through the culture of peace. There you go. Thank you.
7: And, you know, there is another anniversary that we can talk about as well. Ambassador Chowdhury, you have been a tireless advocate for the empowerment of women in many ways, also for decades. Could you please tell people about the upcoming 20th, anniversary of UNSCR 1325 next year um, and let them know what it is and its significance, especially now in this Me Too era.
8: Well, thank you. Thank you, Rick. And I'm delighted that you have raised that point. I'm very excited to talk about that. Uh, 1325 is a UN Security Council resolution number. Uh, uh which was an ease titled women peace women and peace and security so women as seen in the context of peace and security and that was um uh, that was a, uh, an initiative that i had taken in march of 2000 when i was the president of the un security council and I have been advocating um, empowerment of women and equality of their participation the, for many years. And when the occasion came for me to bring that in, in the context of peace and security, I took the challenge and I pushed it. But because of the, the objection of the permanent members, it was not possible for me to get a resolution. But I got a declaration or a statement which asserted that peace is inextricably linked with equality between women and men. So that conceptual barrier that we have to connect the equality of participation of women and men with the effectiveness of the peace building or peacemaking that we are talking about, peace any peace processes. So that is what happened and then we worked for eight more months to get the resolution thirteen twenty five in October, thirty-first of October two thousand. So by that time we were successfully able to achieve a consensus on that text. Although this text could have been better, but still it is there And I think over the last 19 years, it has generated a tremendous enthusiasm, particularly among women's groups, among civil society, among many uh, international organizations, like the African Union has uh, appointed a special envoy on 1325. And Canada, uh, just a few months ago, appointed uh, their specially designated ambassador for women, peace and security. So these are the things, and I believe that this enthusiasm should be uh, uh, enhanced in a big way, taking the opportunity of the 20th anniversary next year. And I believe that in October next year, General Assembly uh, Security Council will, president of that time, will convene a special meeting to observe the anniversary. Um, But anniversaries are good for celebration, but also should be taken as recharging our energies to implement um, that document, uh, in this case 1325, in a more purposeful way. And two things I still feel that we need to do, and I think I will be talking more and more, I'm saying this for the first time, publicly that first thing is that the leadership of the senior management of the United Nations, including the Secretary General, need to be more engaged in asking the member states to implement 1325, asking their own organizations or the departments to implement, to put it, understand the heart and soul of what is meant by equality of women's participation it is not a token thing it is a substantive thing because women's participation brings their special perspective their positivism their ability to look ahead beyond uh, a sort of narrow group interests and that is what we have seen in various parts of the world we need the UN to take advantage of that and make use of that energy available throughout the world. And secondly, I believe the nations, the member states of the UN, need to do much more. So far, I think we have 80 plus national action plans to implement 1325. This has been requested by the Security Council that each and every member state should do that. But out of 193 only 80 plus, that's a very poor number after 20 years. We should make sure the Secretary General and his management team should make sure that every country who have not done it, done their national plan, should feel the pressure from the UN, from the leadership of the UN, that we need to do that urgently. And next, month is an opportunity. All the leaders of the world will converge in New York. Secretary General can make this one, implementation of the National Action Plan as a priority in his talking points with the leaders of the world. I think that will make a big breakthrough. And these are simple things, but has to be done. That makes perfect sense.
7: And I love how you are linking peace, international peace to uh, women's equality So with men so um, and leadership in, uh, and all, all that that implies. Um, so one last thing before we finish up. Um, in the context of September 19, uh, 2019 uh, being the 15th anniversary of 11 Days of Global Unity, um, I want to talk about the importance of global unity and making a shift towards we consciousness in society so the health and well-being of all is valued and prioritized, which essentially would be part of living in the culture of peace that we've been talking about. So the question to you is why are global unity, we consciousness, and the culture of peace so important now given the multiple challenges humanity is facing I, I
8: would believe that the challenges to humanity have been there for many years the only thing the challenges mutate the problem we resolve one, one part of the, the problem and it shows up in a different way. Uh, So now, like climate change, is a big, big challenge to us. 15, 20 years ago, nobody even thought of putting in climate change uh, as a part of the the global agenda. Now, Sustainable Development Goals has a self-standing goal on climate change. So world is focused on that. And then, of course, the... The, the situation with regard to what is called now domestic terrorism is a major problem. The gun violence is a major problem for young and old, for anybody. So these are, the, and then the violence against women have um, really exacerbated in a big way. So the challenges are always there. We have to understand that the, the initiative, like uh, 11 Days of Global Unity, which is dedicated to transform the world, uh, should keep its focus, keep the highlighting the issues which need attention, but also to do something which becomes uh, foundational to each one of us. It doesn't matter whether it is climate change, whether violence against women, or violence against children or health situation or human rights, we should know all of us are global citizens. We have to keep these in mind. Whenever the need comes, we would get involved. And in our daily lives, we can do many things to promote the ideals of unity and equality, uh, diversity and oneness, uh, harmony and compassion, all these things, I think, um, are part of the, the also, as, as I would say, that the part of the culture of peace. The culture of peace empowers us to become better global citizens. And that is what we need. We cannot um, think uh, in an isolated manner anymore. The world is one big place. We have only one planet to leave. And that is what is important for us, that anything that I do, anything negative I do, has an impact, a negative impact in other parts of the world, in another, on other people, on another country. So that connectivity, that oneness of humanity is very important for us to understand. And I think that is what uh, your 11 themes try to bring in And I'm very happy that you are observing the 15th anniversary this year, and I wish you the best uh, uh, this year and many more years to come. I think the challenges that you have taken up, that all of us taken up for the culture of peace, for the equality of women, will continue for a long, long time. These are not something to be fixed immediately. So that, that effort is good. And as long as we have more and more people believing as global citizens, I think we are better off. So we have to make progress slow and steady.
7: Well, thank you again so much, former Under Secretary General of the United Nations and former Ambassador of Bangladesh to the UN, Ambassador Anwar K. Chowdhury. Thank you. And now we have two people who have been dedicated to unity and spirit for many years and who have an extraordinary gathering that they will talk about called Stand Up for Humanity. Reverend Sylvia E. Sumter currently serves as the Senior Minister of Unity of Washington DC since 1991. Prior to her tenure in Washington, DC, she served as the chairperson of communication studies and skills department for the Unity School of Religious Studies in Unity Village, Missouri. And we are also joined by Reverend Kevin Ross, Reverend Kevin Cottrell Ross, is a south side of Chicago native who now serves as the Senior Minister of Unity of Sacramento, the first unity church in the state of California. He is regarded as a respected interfaith social justice leader committed to building bridges of understanding and cooperation across race, Culture, class, and religious lines. Welcome to Convergence Radio, Reverend Sylvia Sumter and Rev Kev. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for so having us. Oh, it's great to have you with us, and and thank you for letting me call you Rev Kev, uh, uh, Reverend Ke- uh, Kevin. Uh, that's that's really uh, cute, and and. Sounds great. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so happy that you can join us as we celebrate the 15th anniversary of 11 days of global unity, September 11th through September 21st, which is the UN International Day of Peace. So Reverend Sylvia, please tell our listeners about Unity of Washington, D.C., and the amazing program called Stand Up
9: for Humanity. Thank you so much, uh, Rick. Yeah, we just, um, I think that having a unity church in the nation's capital is very symbolic. And it was upon my heart that we have something to share with our nation and the world, that we see ourselves as, light bearers and bringers of goodness and truth. And we had an event called Stand Up for Humanity. And basically, this is about evolving the narrative, lifting it higher so that everybody has a sense of connection, a sense of community, a sense of belonging. And it's so important During these times that we are living in right now, and in our nation in particular, where we see and experience so much division and hatred and intolerance, but that can't be the only voice. I firmly believe that there are so many more people of good conscience, so many more people of loving heart and mind and soul that really would speak to the higher virtues of who we are as a people on this planet. And so Stand Up for Humanity was about bringing together people from all walks of life, all faiths, religions, and coming together to recognize we're willing to stand up for each other. We're willing to be a beacon of light. We're willing to speak uh, of the beloved community, you know, just holding a high vision. So we gathered on the nation's uh, capital, the mall, between the Lincoln Memorial, and the Washington Monument at the Reflecting Pool. And it was so powerful. We brought together wonderful speakers such as Reverend Kevin, and he'll share with you in a moment, but people who are doing such good work um, and holding this intention, holding the collective consciousness for the goodness of humanity and for the lifting up of our nation and our world. And it was very, very powerful and um, something that was much and sorely needed.
7: Wow, that's that's so fabulous. Um, and it's great that it took place right in the center of Washington, D.C., as you said, at this time when uh, people are not feeling necessarily united. Yes. Uh, but that message of unity and connection and community is, is so powerful. Um, and I would also... Uh, think that it's important for people to know about all these positive efforts to create peace and unity in the world that aren't often covered by mainstream media, which yes. frequently focus on what some people call the daily dose the daily dose of doom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean?
9: Yeah. So,
7: um, so, so it's, we
9: got it, good coverage this time. So I was very pleased with that. Uh, NBC and, a, uh, and ABC were present and did a little little um, coverage on that. So that was good. Good news for
7: a change. Exactly. And Rev Kev, please speak about your organization's work at Unity of Sacramento and your role in Stand Up for Humanity
10: again rick thanks so much for having me and thank you reverend sylvia for uh, bringing me to stand up for humanity in this conversation today which i think is very important um uni of sacramento is a positive path for spiritual living rooted in the idea of co-creating a world of peace prosperity and unconditional love for all and we really emphasize for all And that has um, uh, a unique mission, especially being rooted in the capital of the largest state in the Union, California. So you can think of Sacramento as the D.C. of the West Coast. (laughs) We we just happen to have a little more light going on. (laughs) I'm I'm kidding, Rev. But we, we... you know, so it's no no um, no small thing that it was cap to cap. You know, it was capital to capital joining the West Coast, which often leads to progressive agenda in the United States, coming to the, the nation's capital, um, bringing this this important conversation. Um, Unity of Sacramento um, is a very active. Uh, spiritual community as it relates to uh, issues that affect our common humanity, Uh, we recognize that we have to operate heavily out of our fifth principle, which reminds us that it's not merely enough to know the truth, but to demonstrate the truth that we say that we know. And in a highly polarized climate such as the one we have, we tend to believe that this is not only our time. To appear, it's our turn to appear. It's our turn to to bring this unity message to the planet. And so we are uh, we consider ourselves spiritual activists in many ways uh, within our, our community, whether it be uh, taking on issues of the environment, or taking on uh, issues of our immigration crisis, or taking on issues. Uh, related to um, uh, the great divide and violence with um, law enforcement and unarmed citizens of color that has been plaguing our nation. We find it's necessary for us to stand up in these times uh, to really uh, take take our places as it relates to all of us, um, holding the torch for a conversation of belonging for everyone, including those who are often marginalized and overlooked and, and have a systemically experienced oppression uh, within our, our culture. And so um, Stand Up For Humanity was a bold move, and I think a timely move on behalf of Reverend Sylvia and her spiritual community, who is uniquely positioned, uniquely positioned to tap into the nerve center of the entire nation by gathering together light consciousness to elevate the conversation of belonging. And I think it was Beautifully done, and it was timely and and like uh Reverend Sylvia said, it did receive media coverage, even in Sacramento. It reached our our affiliates down here in Sacramento. I was on an airplane. they had to call one of my uh surrogates to go and do an interview for me that's how how it hit it touched in so i'm I was very pleased to be a part of it, and I think this is just the beginning of such acts.
7: Yeah. Wow, that- that's so powerful, Very and powerful. and um, and I'm so glad that you are focusing on some of these issues that are so current these days. Uh, the relationship between people and law law enforcement, you know, uh, that's a that's a huge issue. Um, all the issues regarding economic justice are tremendous <clears throat> issues, and of course this. This touches on what we're doing with We the World and 11 Days of Global Unity as well, because we have 11 themes which have become 11 major campaigns, okay. um, uh, including uh, those, uh, uh, the not just unity, interdependence, environment, but also economic justice, women, human
10: rights. Um, you know, there, there's a broad range of them. So and Rick, I think I think it's it's commendable that you are taking these issues up because many of many of our people who participate in communities like ours and who identify with um, this this um, this movement of of universal oneness and universal brotherhood often need the tools and need permission to connect it to concrete actions with society and so um, anytime we can find a way to uh, lift up our values in the public square in concrete measurable ways that actually change not only the collective consciousness but the system in which the, 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 the challenges stem from we are doing something that actually forwards a world that works for all. And so we're just celebrating here in the state of California, the passage of Assembly Bill uh, 392 or AB 392, which changed the standard of lethal use of force from reasonable use of force to necessary use of force. And as a new thought minister, I was honored to have the governor invite me to be present for the signing of that just a few days ago. Um, and and so it is very encouraging for me to witness what happens when people like us lean in and step forward. And as Reverend Sylvia has said, hashtag stand up for humanity. That concrete, immeasurable changes uh, can take place. And that's what I'm why I'm excited about um, the work that you are doing as well.
9: Yeah, oh. if I could just add one thing. But thank you, uh, 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 Rev. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that you know people are looking for a way to have their voice heard they're looking for a way to contribute to be a part because there's a great awakening happening so the Mm -hmm. more we can uh give people as Reverend said permission to to take an action to take a stance to uh, speak their truth to to uh to to move something into being not just as a conceptual idea but as a a living reality and people are Mm -hmm. hungering for what do we do now how do, we, how do we affect this? And uh, what part can I play? So I think what you're doing with We The World, you know, and the 11 days of global unity, and just it's a call to action for all of us. And I think it's an exciting time. I'm just so glad to, to make these various connections and to link up with different, different uh, groups and, and, and people that are, that are really ready to, uh, to, to express in the highest way possible.
7: Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, me too. It's it's very exciting for this to happen, and of course, we want to expand this uh, this way of thinking. <clears throat> so so it becomes uh, kind of mainstream. I mean, it is. We we think it's mainstream often because we're we're surrounded by people who we agree with. But then, <laughs> but then we ha- then all you have to do is listen to that daily dose of doom on the on media, and then. And then you realize there, there's a lot of people out there who could uh, might, might be interested in, in hearing more about what what we are well, talking about here.
10: Let, let's, not, let's not ignore the the elephant in the room right now. and, that, and that, that we can take some credit for creating. And that is, we are witnessing, for the first time, one of our own from within our own movement appear on the national stage as a candidate for the presidency of the United States, that being Marianne Williamson. And she is elevating the conversation like never before. And I am not saying that you or I should endorse any uh, political candidate, but I do want us, if we would, to be conscious that our conversation is growing louder by someone who is standing on a national platform, speaking out loud yes, many of the ideas. And I would love to see more opportunities given for uh, people like her, and especially her now, to uh, uh, engage. Because what happens is, it's like volleyball. If you toss up, as, as Reverend Sylvia said earlier, a new narrative, they have to volley back according to the, the, the height of the, the, the narrative that you send out. So she's heightening the skies of debate um, within our current um, presidential candidacy, and somebody's going to have to catch it. I've noticed that um, our vice president, is, is, he's running on the platform of saving the soul of America. Well, now, who wrote the book on that? I'm just saying. We don't have to get into it, but I'm just saying. So now, so the, the conversation is elevating, and I think we're having an influence on that.
7: Yes. Yes, and, definitely. Exactly. And something that both of you, uh, I think, will be happy to know is that Marianne Williamson was one of the honorary co-chairs who helped to launch 11 Days of Global Unity, Wonder. 15 15 years ago, she, wow. she and Jane Goodall uh, mm-hmm. gave back-to-back keynote addresses at the launch of 11 Days of Global Unity. Um, and uh, d- at, at the same time, Desmond Tutu made a video for it and Amnesty International was a major partner. And we had a, a, just a wonderful launch with like 125 cities involved. Mm-hmm. And of course mm-hmm. it's been expanding since then Mm-hmm. And um, also, you may not realize this, but, you know, Unity, Unity Churches in other parts of the country have participated in 11 Days of Global Unity as well in the past. So this mm-hmm. is great that we are talking now as we're approaching this uh, 15th anniversary. Um, so uh, in that context, I want to talk about uh, or get, maybe get deeper into the importance of global unity and the idea of promoting we consciousness in society. So even at the highest levels of government and business uh, and culture, uh, decisions are made which show that the health and well-being of all is valued and prioritized. So. Um, you know, given all the, the challenges that, that we have been talking about, um, what do you think uh, about this,
4: uh,
10: uh, Rev Kev? I think, I think when we're talking about um, a we consciousness, I believe that, that that is an evolutionary statement in and of itself, because the, the common consciousness is I think, therefore I am. And the ethos that you're lifting up is one that says, I am because we are, and because we are, therefore I am. So you are you are connecting, uh, you're, you're introducing a new ethos, but you're, when, you're, when you're introducing that ethos, there has to be some challenge uh, that we give to one another outside of something that feels very Pollyannish and very um, Kumbaya-ish. And what I mean by this is, I want people to become culturally curious, color curious, and uh, culturally brave, not color blind and, and, and culture blind, but color curious, color brave, culturally brave, because when this happens, I can start to look at you specifically, and not not only, uh, celebrate diversity, but invite you to be a part. In other words, moving from this uh, platform of diversity to one of inclusion. Diversity says um, you're welcome to the party. Inclusion says let's get on the floor and dance together. Dance with me. So, what, what I'm what I'm wanting people to do is to take the blinders off because oftentimes. We 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 when we're talking about global unity, we're saying that um, there is no difference, but there are differences. There are differences between us, and that's what will evolve us when we are we learn to look at and see and appreciate and get curious about those differences. I want to know what's cooking on the pot in your stove, and I want to try it. I want you to understand why I can't eat the food on your stove. Okay, uh, but it. It's not a dismissal of you. This is just unique to me. You get what I'm saying? So, when we're talking about global unity, it starts in a very specific way saying, I see you, I hear you, I respect you. I move from this idea of tolerate, because tolerate is something that we're asked to do being tolerant. Tolerance is the seed, but acceptance is the tree. I accept you. And then I celebrate you, right? And so I, I I think that we move to this this weak consciousness by getting getting in the grassroots and being able to see people specifically as they are, learning to accept them for who they are, and then getting to the place where we can celebrate um, our our uniqueness together. Yeah, wow. that, definitely, that and
9: that was powerful, Riv.
10: <laughs> yeah,
7: definitely, and. And, R- Reverend Sylvia, um, do you want to add something about we consciousness? And do you think that we can actually make that cultural shift uh, towards we consciousness and the common good?
9: Well, I, 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 not only do I think we can make it, I think we are being pushed towards that end because the world is very small at one point in time the world seemed like a large place but with technology with the expediency of connection that we have whether it's the internet or whatever the world is connected we are connected so to to um, develop this we consciousness we're being forced to do that because we are now in one another's homes and kitchens and you know we get to see each other Than ever before. So it's just having, I think, the permission so we don't have to do it by force, but now let's do it consciously. Let's do it willingly. Let's say, let's let's come together with this wonderful opportunity to share this world, you know, as we do. So I I love the we consciousness. I think it's the next step in our evolutionary growth and our thinking and in the consciousness that we hold for the collective. Mm -hmm. So it's a a great place to be, and it's going to happen because it is already happening. It sure is. And hard to make a conscious choice to do it lovingly uh, is where we are now. And I I love what you just said, Rev, about, you know, not just tolerating, but learning to include and accept. And so mm-hmm. we can include and accept and we can love. And I don't mean love by agreement, but love by honoring and recognizing we yes. are all in this together. There yeah. is the matrix is held together by the individual souls that are coming together as one. And yeah, uh, yeah we're we.
7: Mm-hmm. We, are we,
9: we are we so, as we wind up,
7: um, How can people connect with you to support what you're doing and get involved? Do you want to let us know, Reverend Sylvia?
9: Yeah, you can go on to unityofwashingtondc.org, unityofwashingtonwdc.org. That's our website. Uh, We're at 1225 R Street. You can connect with us and find out what's going on, what our next big project is, uh, and come join us as we celebrate uh, life together.
10: And, and you, uh, Rev Kev? Thank you again, Rick, for having me uh, participate today. There are many ways um, I can uh, be reached at unityofsacramento.org, unityofsacramento.org. And you can download our free app, app through uh, iTunes that will give you information there. I'm also on Facebook at Kevin Cottrell Ross 7, on Twitter, on Twitter at Rev Kev K, and on instagram at designer life seven and i just wanted to add one other thing to this um for those leaders looking to learn how to make this shift from um concept to reality to be able to make concrete changes uh, Reverend Dr. David Alexander and I are putting together what we're calling Camp Courage that will take place the first week of March 2020, March 1st through the 4th, in El Capitan. Um, It will be sponsored through the Association for Global New Thought. And it's one of those opportunities for about 100 leaders to come together to learn, how do I make the shift from uh, theory to spiritual activism? And we'll show you what to do so that you, you won't lose half your congregation, you won't lose your 501c3. We'll equip you with the information, the tools, and the networks to be able to uh, be a spiritually conscious, socially active leader in these times.
7: Oh, that's fabulous. That sounds really wonderful. Well, thank you again so much. Reverend Sylvia Sumter and Reverend Kevin Ross. Thank you.
9: Thank you, Rick. Thank you, appreciate it greatly.
7: It's really great. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And now I'm so inspired to welcome a couple of people whose commitment to the UN International Day of Peace has been extraordinary for many years. Monica Willard has inspired me with her commitment to peace and unity for over 20 years. She has many affiliations, including United Religions Initiative and Peace Jam, as well as being co-chair of the UN NGO Committee for the International Day of Peace. And she has contributed to 11 days of global unity in profound ways over the years. Brandon Perdomo is representative to the United Nations for May Peace Prevail on Earth International. And he is also co-chair of the UN NGO Committee for the International Day of Peace. Welcome to Convergence Radio, Monica Willard and Brandon Perdomo.
11: Thanks, Thank you Rick. for having us.
7: Oh, it's great for you both to be on. And I'm really happy you can uh, join us, especially in celebration of the 15th anniversary of 11 Days of Global Unity, September 11th through September 21st, culminating on the International Day of Peace. So, Monica Willard, please tell our listeners about your organization's work, especially for the upcoming 11 Days of Global Unity and the International Day of Peace.
6: Thanks, Rick. I'm glad to be here and an honored that you invited me. Uh, I am very excited to talk to your listeners about the 11 Days of Global Unity because I've been involved with it since you started. And I am so impressed with what has happened to the growth and the both expanding numbers, but also the depth in which people are dealing with it. Um, You also incorporate the UN theme into your... uh, Days And this year, the theme for the International Day of Peace is Climate Action for Peace, which is an extraordinary opportunity for people to recognize the connection between climate change, the environment, and peace, be it problems with the environment, such as lack of water that causes disruption or, or a problem with extreme heat. These are things that also lead to conflict. And when we look at an issue like Syria, it has been even stated that this is the first war that really dealt with climate change because it was the farmers that came into the city without the ability to farm the land. So it's so important for us to recognize this unity and this interconnectedness between environmental protection, peace, and climate change. So if we want peace in the world, we have to take care of our planet. And so the 11 days themes really remind us of all of the different emphasis that we can bring to peace. And so thank you for having the 11 days, Rick, and thank you for making us a part of it. And we certainly invite any of your listeners to consider which of the themes, which of the focus of the 11 days, give them the most opportunity to share climate Action for
7: Peace. Yes, definitely. And Monica, I just want to acknowledge you because it was some years ago, I think it was 2011, if I'm not mistaken, that we brought together some of the partners that launched 11 Days of Global Unity in 2004. We brought them together to uh, develop and, and deepen the whole project. And I believe it was you who came up with the idea of creating 11 ways to transform our world to go along with the 11 days of of global unity. So just wanted to acknowledge you there. Thank you.
6: Thanks, Rick, for remembering something I had forgotten, but I enjoyed (laughs) being a part of the discussion. I remember that discussion very clearly.
7: Yes. So um, do you want to uh, say, Uh, Some of the uh, work that's going on with uh, URI in September, for example.
6: I'm very excited to do that, Rick, The United Religions Initiative, URI, is in 108 countries. We have over a million members in our cooperation circles, which are locally organized with people from either three distinct religious traditions or variants in how they are in the community. So... Um, within the three distinct traditions, it isn't just Episcopalians and Lutherans and Catholics. It is the full gamut of the spiritual world, which is so intricately involved in every community. And so we have members of Indigenous. We have people of various ages. We have people from different, all different religions and from different spiritual traditions. And those without a spiritual tradition who want to come together, to really work on building peace. And the 11 days and the 11 ways give people a major opportunity to choose the one that works for their specific area. And the United Religions Initiative would call that our cooperation circles. So to give you an example of whether it's an intergenerational um, project in India, um, where they're dealing with water, um, there's a whole billion, a call for a billion youth um, with for disarmament and so that involves two of the different days of the 11 days with both disarmament and youth. Um, we have women's groups working together to create peace and for URI much of the influence this year is connected to the climate in different areas. Uh, our the emphasis with a lot on water because water is one of those elements that everyone needs for life and different places are dealing with it in very complex ways, whether it's dealing with fracking or whether it's dealing with actual having it, whether it, um, there are places in India that were been declared without water. This, this is new. We have to face these horrible problems that people are dealing with. And we're also needing to look ahead to our future and how to protect it from fracking from um, chemicals, from um, extra use by companies who are uh, exporting it. And so uh, one of our areas is a um, sea sanctuary that involves uh, both Canada and the United States in the Salish Sea. We're dealing with sanitation and hygiene in India. We're dealing with indigenous people in South America. I mean, there are just so many projects that are going on for the International Day of Peace and some might sound frivolous. One of my favorites on that one is Piece of Pizza for Peace and that is a wonderful person in the United States who happens to have two small, uh, two pizza shops and he's decided to get other people with independent shops or those with part, who are part of chains. His happens to be a Domino's pizza. And to, in order to give some of their proceeds for the, on the International Day of Peace um, and make sure that it gets donated to specific causes, either local or global. And he's doing it for the United Religions Initiative. Uh, there's walks for peace and justice and the justice is certainly having an environmental impact. So those are just a couple of overviews that um, are happening in the United Religions Initiative across the world. But one of the ones that unifies us that I have to say is the minute of silence at 12 noon and asking people to really put their hearts, their prayers, their thoughts for a moment at 12 in each of the time zones, or the one that they happen to be in, to really focus on peace so that we can create this wave of peace that goes around the world and circles the globe.
7: That's wonderful. Thank, thank you, Monica. And uh, do you wanna say anything about um, Peace Jam and the work that the that Peace Jam is, is doing? Well, I'd be very As glad well. to do that and
6: actually give it a plug. Um, peace Jam is a large peace education, primarily uh, focused on youth, looking at the lives of Nobel laureates and how they took their passion and really called attention to create a better world. And then they won the Nobel Peace Prize and now they're giving back. And these, their curriculum goes into the schools focused on the life of a particular Nobel laureate and they develop a service project along the theme. And uh, this year, for the last few years, um, Peace Jam has been offering their annual movie about a Nobel laureate that is free for people on the International Day of Peace to watch. And there's a brand new one coming out this week on um, the Dalai Lama, the scientist. And it's a whole look at him from childhood till now with his love and passion on science. Others, um, for example, last year's was done with Betty Williams on the courage that it takes to be a peacemaker. And they have a video library that's very easy to access from peacejam.org. And uh, they're going to be meeting the Nobel laureates in Monterey, and uh, Mexico. And in this gathering, it was formed to do it around the International Day of Peace and Peace Jam Awards for the billion Acts of Peace will be given out. So anyone who's listening to this, who's doing anything to create peace can log into billionacts.org and be a part of next year's process because they really have some wonderful acknowledgements and some prizes. And also you're a part of a way of really measuring acts for peace. Um, so I invite people to participate and to learn more about the lives of the Nobel laureates and, um, and, and bring it into our lives. It just takes us following our passion to do good, be kind, and to teach people about the environment, about Youth about some of the issues from a new angle. So thanks, Rick. I appreciate you broadening my uh, focus.
7: Exactly. And you know, when you were talking about a billion youth for disarmament, it made me think of a billion acts for peace uh, that that uh, Peace Jam is doing. So that that would that would fulfill the the goal of the, of Peace Jam right there. The billion. Youth Mm -hmm. for disarmament, (laughs) right? Absolutely. And at
6: some point, I uh, would like to just remind people that the 20th, um, this year, September 20th, the day for disarmament on the 11 days is also the day for uh, climate action and for us to really support the youth and the different people marching for peace, getting out, and they're doing it at 12 noon um, around the world uh, to stand up and say, I believe in climate change, I'm making changes, our governments need to take on this charge to make the climate change um, a part of the planning at the governmental level.
7: Exactly, and at the same time uh september 20th starts a week of a week for um peace uh, for disarmament peace, disar- yes it's it's um has nuclear to be right it ends up on uh september 26th the the international day for the abolition of nu- nuclear weapons
4: yep.
7: so we have a, a confluence uh of of uh, all, all kinds of important things that affect all of humanity. In a sense, it is like, um, I remember in 2014 when the, the climate march was on the International Day of Peace, September 21st, um, in my uh, interview with uh, Bill McKibben from 350.org, um, I pointed out the, the idea that we're not just talking about peace on earth, we're talking about peace with earth. And that's where uh, it kind of comes together.
6: Absolutely, Rick. And I am thrilled that Abolition 2000 really designated September 21st, including the International Day of Peace, asked people to think about the 23rd because the UN is having a climate summit. They're having... Um, on the 24th and 25th, the UN is having a summit on the Sustainable Development Goals, which involve peacemaking and absolutely point out at all the different things that the days, 11 Days of Global Unity also point out with no hunger and poverty and water and uh, gender equality and education. There's just so many uh, interconnected goals that we can Use during this time and to focus on and to have the 26th for the day for the total elimination of nuclear weapons and to be mindful of the fact that these are an enormous drain of resources and there is a level of fear that is unspoken about and yet we know that the world could end at any minute with irresponsibility, a mistake, or vengeance. And so we need to address all of these issues,
7: and together we can make a difference. Exactly. And Brandon, please speak about your organization's work and what's coming up in September for you, and May Peace Prevail on Earth International.
11: Hello, Rick. I am so thrilled to join you, Monica, uh, for this recording. Thank you for having us. Um, so, we have we have a number of events coming up where we uh, where we in, integrate the use of flags and monuments to um, to anchor to anchor holistic intention for peace. So, we have on in over one hundred eighty countries on this planet planted peace poles in every language that's read. May peace prevail on earth. And sometimes, you know, I know you you two know this, but sometimes I explain mm-hmm. it, and somebody will jump up and say, "Oh, I had one in my library when I was growing up," or "Oh, that was right outside my preschool." Myself, that we had one right outside my preschool, and I just didn't know what it was until I learned about uh, about this message. This message came um, out of Japan uh, post World War II, and it's seen every shift of consciousness, every shift of um, uh, where the world has been going from, uh, especially from this country that was so isolated, now turned globalized. Um, So we we bring this message to to events in September. We have the student observance of the International Day of Peace, um, where we have a moment of silence. There's a ringing of the peace bell inside, um, after the General, um, after the Secretary General rings the Peace Bell in the Peace Garden outside, we have the use of flags. Um, we have students from all over the tri-state area and beyond uh, carrying nation's flags um, during the moment of silence during the Peace Bell ringing, uh, anchoring for uh, for youth and the, the next generation to to root themselves in this intention and to move forward and to bring this message far beyond September. It's not just a day to remind one another that this is a lifestyle. This is something that we need to prepare for. Uh, Something that a lot of people talk about is to, especially in the UN, I think this is UN phrasing, um, to expect peace and you need to prepare for it. And um, so beyond that, we have the uh, annual Vigil for Peace and Ecology, hosted by Susana Bastarica and Central Park at the famous uh, Nuremberg Bandshell. And um, we have our flags coming there, and there's a peace pole, and it's filled annually with brilliant artists dancers musicians um, installation artists and it's really carrying the theme of celebration because peace is something that's active we have to work on it we also have to celebrate it and we have to normalize the act of celebrating something that benefits all of us even if it's work
7: yes and and you mentioned the the vigil um, so that's on September fifteenth, um, which um, uh, th- this is an annual event that Susan Susanna Bastarica has put together um, for many years. I'm not sure what what year she's up to. It's this probably might be
11: eighteen. It's like eighteen. Some something like that. Yes.
7: Yeah. Exactly. And
11: yeah.
7: Right. So the uh, the vigil has. All, uh, has been part of 11 Days of Global Unity. And um, it's a wonderful all-day festival uh, with speakers and performers and art and, and um, meditations and dancing and everything for all, all day long. Um, and it's great that the, the final part of it is the flag ceremony that you were talking about, which is, which is great. So th- thank you for bringing that up. Uh, was, were there any other uh, things you wanted to mention coming up? Uh,
11: I think the, what we have after the student observation is um, the Peace Day, uh, Peace Day Party in Times Square, hosted by Paul Slotkis. And I know you've been involved as well in so many uh, NGOs and people within our community. Uh, We have our flags on display. There's a peace poll, and it's another celebration in the heart of New York City, which is incredible, and it's been going on for so many years.
7: Yeah, exactly. Uh, And uh, Paul has been doing that for many years as well, and he's even able to get uh an acknowledgement of the international day of peace on the on the displays you know the the giant screens in in times square which is uh, really incredible so the world can really know what's going on and and i think he also uh has uh in the past had hundreds of people forming the symbol of a, a, of a peace sign uh, mm-hmm. yes, in yes, times you- square
11: we stand out our bodies and from an aerial view, we create a giant peace sign as the anchor for, uh, for ourselves within the, the middle of New York City. It's really incredible to see.
7: Yeah, exactly. So um, a question for both of you. Um, in the context of um, this September being the 15th anniversary of 11 days of global unity, I want to talk about the importance of global unity in general uh, and making a shift towards we consciousness in society so the health and well-being of all is valued and prioritized. Um, <clears throat> so the question is, why, why are uh, global unity and shifting towards we consciousness so important now, uh, given the challenges humanity is facing socially, politically, economically, and and environmentally. Um, do you want, to, you want to continue, Brandon? Any, any thoughts on that yourself?
11: Yeah, then we'll ab- go to Monica. Absolutely. The, um, and this has been on my mind, and I'm sure my minds of uh, people worldwide, and we have to hone in on our consumption as the most brilliant Argu- arguably one of the most brilliant races that's ever set foot on the earth. We have also brought it uh, brought nature to its knees in a way that we we consume without remembering the byproducts of our consumption. So not only is plastic a plague to our waters and our land, but the byproducts of, of um, oil greed of water contamination before the plastic is even being finished synthesized we, we're destroying ecosystems before before we could finish off what what our active, sustainable living even looks like. We, we, uh, the visualization isn't complete. So what we have to do all together is be conscious, be be aware, you know, it could be as small as bringing a straw with you, bringing a fork with you or a spoon. It could be, you know, having uh, sustainably sourced cotton bags, Uh, when you go out getting groceries because plastic is very difficult to recycle and decades or centuries um, will have passed before they even begin to uh, degrade into the earth. And, um, And it's up to us to... Well, right now we're talking about it. it's up to every person to set forth even a small example of how we can change our habits, how we can take care of one another, how we can live sustainably um, and act locally while thinking globally.
7: Definitely. Thank you, Brandon. And as we wind up, Monica, you have any thoughts about this yourself?
6: I do, and I want to thank Brandon for bringing it both to the individual uh, choices, and I want to thank you, Rick, for bringing us to the global ones as well. And uh, I'm thinking about the history on um, which brought about 11 Days of Global Unity, um, which brought about the vigil in Central Park, and which brought about so much. And that is um, the International Day of Peace in 2001 was 9 11. Everyone in New York and probably most of the world remembers that as the day the World Trade Center disaster. And you said it's what happened afterwards and how we were able to regroup and to move forward and what did it take. And right away, you started the 11 days of global unity going from September 11th to the 21st. Because another thing that happened that very time in 2001 was the International Day of Peace was given a set date of September 21st, as opposed to the opening day of the General Assembly, which it had been, since it had been established in the 1981 resolution, first celebrated on September 21st, 1982. And so we had a history of it being September 21st, plus it's the equinox and other things. So it was wonderful to have a timeframe and to find a productive way to deal with it, because to use a date for war, and it, it, it's just inexcusable to think about the destruction to the earth, and to our hearts and to our souls living under this cloud of war and weapons, when we can choose peace, when we can choose to be creative, And we have this amazing set of transformative goals that governments have committed to called the Sustainable Development Goals that are just so needed to transform our world, but also to transform ourselves into thinking about what decisions we make, how we spend our money, who we support in elections, how we make the little choices, whether it's a straw or how we make a big choice put some heart, energy, and prayers behind stopping nuclear weapons. I mean, there are so many choices that we can make. And we invite everybody on this call to think about not just what's best for us or what's best for a pocketbook, but for the next seven generations, as the indigenous people have taught us for so long. So we can make choices that make a difference. And I encourage everyone to join us as we look forward to the International Day of Peace, September 21st, to the Peace Vigil, and to the 11 Days of Global Unity because we need one another. We are absolutely essential to one another to get us through this individual look at consumption beyond belief. Thank you, Brandon, so much for bringing the personal part what we need to do and i just want to add that our personal prayers intentions thoughts and how we spend our money can make a big difference and invite people to connect and
7: think about future generations as you work for peace wow very inspiring well thank you again so much monica willard and brandon perdomo
11: thank you rick Thank you, Rick. And maybe we can say together the unifying message for peace. May peace prevail on earth. Good idea. Okay. May May peace prevail prevail prevail
6: on earth. 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 And now we can invite the audience to say it themselves. May (laughs) peace peace
7: prevail prevail
6: on on earth. Earth.
7: And one more time for the road.
1: May
6: May peace
7: prevail. prevail. On Earth. Earth. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Rick, for such an amazing array of guests who will be a part of this year's 11 Days of Global Unity. Now, there's one other event that I want to tell you about that is a part of the September festivities. But before we do that, we want to take another brief station break for a further short message from the sponsors of all of these upcoming global events.
0: Over the last years, we have seen the steady build-up on the road to 2020, with events in many countries around the world promoting unity, harmony, and sustainability. Now the time is upon us for the grand finale, the caravan of unity across America. Inviting a vast number of groups and movements to come together to stand up visibly for peace and for unity, the caravan will be a month-long series of events like no other. The Caravan of Unity is scheduled to begin with great ceremony in San Francisco at the historic Grace Cathedral on August the 28th, 2020 and wind its way across the United States, arriving in New York City on Peace Weekend, September 19 to 21, when many thousands of groups around the world will be celebrating the International Day of Peace. At the same time, a caravan of unity across Europe will be moving from Rumi's tomb in central Turkey via many sacred and historic sites to London on the International Day of Peace. We are inviting you to play a key role. If you would like to connect to the Caravan of Unity or to host an event, please go to www.unity.earth forward slash caravan and complete the form. Join us in making history as we stand up together for unity and peace.
1: Okay, it's great to have all of this further information on these upcoming events and initiatives. So before we conclude the program, I want to share with you one more event that is a part of these initiatives And that is a program by our European colleagues at the New Humanism Project. Now, they're going to be coming over from Belgium to join us in the UN community and providing a program on September 27th as a part of the 11 days and the International Day of Peace season. And that program is entitled, Education for a Cosmopolitanism Beyond Our Comfort Zones. And that's going to be held on Friday, September 27th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Sukio Center at 124 East 31st Street, New York. And there's information available on that program 24-7 at www.newhumanism.org. That's www.newhumanism.org. And when you check that out, if you're interested in participating in discussions and panels, Get in touch then with, by email with Gaston, that's G-A-S-T-O-N, at newhumanism.org. So now, joining me now to talk about this event a bit are both Gaston Meskins and Silke von Klufenbergen, who are the founders of New Humanism, to share with us about this event. So welcome, Gaston and Silke, to tell us about this September 27th event in New York City.
12: Thanks Kurt for that kind introduction and thanks also for this opportunity to speak about our work here. Let's start with two questions. What kind of education do our children need to make them more resilient to all kinds of capitalist, confirmist and fundamentalist manipulations of our coexistence and to enable them to become self-reflexive, open? and tolerant cosmopolitans or world citizens, capable of living better with each other in our complex society.
13: Second question. What is ethical competence? These are the two starting questions of an initiative of our new humanism project. We aim to organize reflections about these questions in the form of a series of workshops that will take place in various places in the world each time in cooperation with a local or international organization. The basic idea we want to propose and elaborate in the workshops is that education should help any child and adolescent to become a self-reflexive, open and tolerant cosmopolitan or world citizen. There are reasons to conclude that still today most approaches to education now mainly prepare our children to function as one-dimensional, uncritical subjects in the political economic, social and spiritual systems of our society. Children and adolescents have the right to be educated differently, with the aim to make them more resilient to all kinds of capitalist, conformist and fundamentalist manipulations of our coexistence, and to help them to live better with each other in our complex society. In other words, they deserve an education that enables them to think and act beyond the various comfort zones of power and profit strategically maintained in our society. As a consequence the chances are bigger they would become more reflexive responsible and tolerant adults later on
12: to make matters more concrete we want to invite all relevant actors such as civil society representatives policymakers, activists academics to discuss this idea and its motivation and to reflect with us on the possibility need and feasibility of developing a universal curriculum and an educational toolkit that can be used as a reference for first, secondary and higher education anywhere in the world.
13: In addition to a curriculum of topics, we think the form of education is also essential. Whatever the level, setting or stage in the development of our children and youth, the idea is that education should be organized as dialogue and mutual learning wherein teachers act more as moderators and facilitators than as providers of knowledge. This form of education can help young people to develop an ethical competence. We think ethical competence can be understood as the ability to apply specific skills and attitudes to help orient your ethical sense.
12: That competence would consequently allow one to judge on ethical issues and to make ethical choices in dialogue with others. Important to note is that nobody can acquire that ethical competence alone. It can be developed through continuous dialogue with others, and obviously that dialogue should start at a young age, when one is most vulnerable for these capitalist, confirmist and fundamentalist manipulations mentioned above. For children, becoming self-critical, world citizens, and developing ethical competence is not their duty, it's their human
13: right. So that's it. If you think a dialogue on the meaning and value of cosmopolitanism and ethical competence and on their relation to education is relevant and needed today, you're most welcome to join. Contact us through our website newhumanism.org.
12: Thanks for listening. Well, thanks so much, Gaston
14: and Silka, for that information about Europe's New Humanism Project and its program in New York City on September 27th as part of these weeks of global events. So that leaves me here with our co-host, Rick Alphick to wind up what has been an amazing program. So, Rick, after hearing this entire program, tell us what you think about how we've been able to bring together so many guests from around the world for these upcoming events and celebrations for the 11 Days of Global Unity and the International Day of Peace.
7: Well, thanks, Kurt. And I want to let listeners know that the opening event of 11 Days is an extraordinary 9-11 tribute called T- Table of Silence by the Buglisi Dance Theater at the Plaza in Lincoln Center in Manhattan, New York City, September 11th at 8.15 a.m., and it will be live streamed. Also, We the World's 11 Days Telesummit will broadcast each day from September 11th through September 21st at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, and will feature some of the most visionary leaders and activists of our time including many of the people on this show today. Go to we.net to register and learn more about all these events. Well, great, Rick. Thanks so much for adding that information.
14: So the way we're going to wind up the show is with two very special guests, Ben Bowler, the Executive Director of Unity Earth, and Adam Collette, the Creative Director of Unity Earth to tell us about how all this fits in with the broader, bigger, and I must say huger plans for the year 2020. With the Road to 2020, upcoming special events in India and the Holy Land, and then the Caravan of Unity across America in 2020. So welcome, Ben and Adam. And so why don't we start with Ben, and Ben, why don't you give us an overview of the Unity Earth events that are upcoming in 2019 and in 2020. We've already heard about them to a degree in the two short spots from you that were aired during today's
0: program. So Ben. Yeah, wonderful. Well, wonderful to be here, Kurt and Rick and Adam, and uh, what an amazing show. Uh, it's been so far. Very exciting to be uh, here on the Convergence uh, again. And yes, we're entering a, an extraordinary period of time. Uh, so much has unfolded over the last few years, and we're at a very special place, almost like the calm before the storm, as we get ready for the gatherings in Australia in November and, uh, and uh, India, in the Varanasi Convergence uh, in November 21 to 25, and then, of course, the great gathering in the Holy Land uh, for Day 2020 in World Interfaith Harmony Week, Holy Land Living Water, where we're gathering to raise awareness uh, of the work that's been done to preserve the Jordan River, as well as to build peaceful, more peaceful relations between Jordan, Palestine and Israel through that work. Very, very exciting times. And then as you've laid out, Kurt, then building that up to the caravan of unity across America. i got to say, you know, what strikes me most <clears throat> is talking to different people around the world Just the sheer volume of people that are working towards the biggest ever events uh, for International Day of Peace in 2020. It is stunning. Every day, it seems. I mean, every week, we're learning about more and more groups from Africa to Europe, Asia, South America, North America, even here in Australia uh, that have penciled that date in as the date to really do something big. And most of them. Uh, are not yet aware of what everybody else is doing and I don't think that any of us are fully aware uh, of everything that's been planned for that date. So we're just in a build-up phase. The caravan of unity is just one of a number of things that's building towards that. Obviously that's perfectly synchronized with the 11 days of unity. We're thrilled to be a part of the 11 days of unity. It's 15th year this year and it's 16th year next year Uh, and and everything's really lining up uh, in the most profound way. So We just keep peddling, we keep working, we're putting these events on, we're building the energy, we're building the community, and we're building uh, a field of people that are connected to this desire for peace and unity in our time. Uh, And as we work towards showing up on the world stage with historic force in 2020, first in the Holy Land and then across America and in Europe and other parts of of the world, towards World Peace Weekend, uh, when finally we'll see just how big and broad and deep This transformational movement goes across the globe from the ecological to the spiritual to the social and all of those elements coming together and orientating around showing up on those days around International Day of Peace. We couldn't be more excited by what's ahead of us. Uh, There are challenges to face. There's a lot of work to be done. There are people doing heroic stuff. And Adam uh, is definitely at the forefront of uh, doing a a lot of heroic work for us at Unity Earth. So it's, uh, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be here sharing the journey with you all and uh, looking forward to the unfolding from this year into next year. Thanks for having me on.
14: Well, thanks, Ben, really. And now, Adam, I know that you've been, as Ben said, also at the wheel here and all these events. So as creative director for Unity Earth, give us your view about all these initiatives that are unfolding in
15: 2019 and 2020. Thanks so much, Kurt. And thank you, Rick. And um Really such an honor to be here on the show with you all. Um, the groundwork that's been laid um, by so many people and so many groups for so many years um, has led to this opportunity. Uh, just as Ben said, you know, we see this huge pathway unfolding, the doorways opening and um, it's just a matter of walking through it together. And uh, it's actually been one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen to, to see the momentum building just so organically and so naturally. And it's really because um, the great majority of humanity really does want peace. And there are so many thousands of groups responding to that call um, in their own ways, in their own places, in their own regions. And in essence, you know, we have this opportunity with Unity Earth to help build some cohesion between um, events and groups that may not have known about each other um, to really produce these types of things on bigger and bigger scales as we gear up for the holy land and the caravan of unity and all culminating on peace weekend 2020 so to me as someone who was you know inspired by the original spirit of woodstock um, and this movement for peace and unity that's been you know bubbling up around the world for so long to see this window arising in the next 12 13 months um, that we can all really be a part of. And I, that's what really excites me. It's the humbling of every day, as Ben said, we're just encountering more and more people that have their own incredible vision, their own incredible mission. And there's so many people I know who listen to this um, to this show and all the people that have been doing this work. Um, I think we all sense that this is our chance and this is our time. And that obviously we know that together we are stronger. And when we stand together for peace and for unity and for all of the different things that we believe in, um, we see it as you know, bringing everybody's torch to this global fire. And we feel the fire has already been lit and we're going to take it to you know, Melbourne in November and Baranasi and to the Holy Land in February and carry it across not just America for the Caravan of Unity but across Europe and um, people planning things in Africa and Asia. It's, it's just remarkable to think, where that fire could lead to peace weekend 2020 and the type of impact we could have as a collective, you know, is just beyond imagination and I couldn't be more humbled and honored to be a part of it with you all. So thanks again, Kurt and Rick, and for Ben all of the work that he's done with unity earth to get to this point. Everybody else has been a part of it. So it's a real honor and a blessing. Thank you so much.
14: Well, thanks so much to both of you, Ben and Adam, and thanks Rick for the amazing job that you have done as co-host and bringing in so many guests for the 11 Days of Global Unity and the International Day of Peace. So now all we gotta do is really enjoy now, just enjoy the several weeks, uh, the next several weeks and all the events and programs that we've showcased and highlighted. So we're gonna close now, but first I wanna remind our audience that we're gonna be back again in November or December for another very special Voice America special on the future of conscious business. And this special program will be a spinoff of both the Conscious Business World Summit and the special issue of Light on Light magazine slated for November-December, which is entitled Conscious Business for a Flourishing World. And it's going to be chock full of global leaders. So I'm going to sign off now for the convergence at Voice America I'm going to hand the mic back over to Rick Ulfick to sign off for the 11
7: Days of Global Unity and the International Day of Peace. Thank you, Kurt. Well, this has been quite a journey on the show today. Thank you, Kurt, and everyone. Together, using platforms like Convergence Radio, We.net, Unity.Earth, and 11daysofglobalunity.org, Let's inspire, inform, and involve more and more of our family and friends in creating a society and a world that works for all. Bye-bye.
4: I search my way through wreckage, try to find a peace to save. Was it a hurricane? Was it rain? Was it a warm tsunami wave? We think we're thick with courage. That's an insult to the brave. While all our hearts are mortgaged and our minds are media slaves. Stand Our corporations struggle on They'll put a price now on the sun Elections read like tragedies Democracy wakes up diseased Yes